When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert Seth Green, teach two things. How to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth. Hi, everyone. I want to thank everyone for coming again. Uh, my name's Maria Geffers, and this is my husband, Tom. Hello. And we're from Career and College Counselors. And this week, we I know I keep on saying that these are exciting people, and they are because we only choose exciting people. This young woman, and she is very young, is one of uh, my my students' daughter, uh, students' sister, and a fantastic family. And so I'd like to introduce you to Caitlin Fish, and her career is she is a pathologist assistant. So thank you so much for coming, Caitlin. I really appreciate it. And I'm so excited about the information that you're actually going to tell our, our parents who are going to be listening. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Good. Well, the first thing we do is we always ask, you know, tell us your story, the who, the what, and the where, and the why you went into this different field, if you will, that women usually don't uh aren't, that's not the, usually their first pick, if you will. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, well, I'm from Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, and I was always kind of interested in like um, more forensic related things, dissection. I did, a, I dissected a worm for my fifth grade science fair project. So it started that young. So <laughs> a little different, um, but I was always kind of interested in that field and the CSI effect probably had a big kind of played a big role in where I ended up in college. So CSI was big on TV when I was younger. Uh, so I um, graduated um, like top of my class from um, for high school and I went to the University of New Haven in Connecticut for um, forensics and I double majored in biology pre-med. So um, that forensics related field kind of got me introduced into uh, medicine and I kind of geared more towards PA. So I went to PA school, pathologist assistant school at Quinnipiac University, also in Connecticut. Um, and that's kind of brought me up to where I am now. I've been in the field almost five years, which is crazy to think. Um, and so specifically 
you can be more in the surgical pathology field um, or autopsy. And I did a little bit of both, but now I predominantly work in the autopsy field, um, teaching and training um, uh, residents and students and interns uh, at Yale University. So that's where good. I'm at now. Very good. And can I ask you one more question before mm -hmm. I hand it off to Tom? Your aha moment, like when was that defining moment that you decided this is where you wanted to be? Yeah, I feel like, you know, in high school and doing um, like dissections and, you know, biology class, that sort of thing. Like I wanted that, you know, forensics degree and looked into the program and it was super hands-on. And that's kind of when I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want, you know, hands-on medicine. Um, more specifically with the PA, I feel like I, I interned honestly where I work now and just realizing that PA was an option and I didn't have to go to medical school and put all those years in and I could have a, a well-rounded, balanced like work-life relationship. I was like, okay, PA is for me. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, what, what is the uh, difference between a forensic pathologist, a medical examiner, and a coroner? That's a great question. So there's a lot of variety, like state by state. Um, like I know back home, like we have a coroner system where we live. So, and in Connecticut, we have a medical examiner system. Um, pretty much forensic pathologists and medical examiner are usually pretty interchangeable. So forensic pathologists would have to have gone through medical school. They're going to be a doctor and then they're going to do four years of a pathology residency, which is actually the residence I train or in a pathology residency. And then they'll go for one year fellowship in forensic pathology. And that um, will, you know, they're eligible to be a medical examiner once they pass their boards. So I know in some states, medical examiners just have to be a physician or a surgeon. They don't have to be a pathologist per se. So that's a little bit of a difference there, but mostly those terms overlap. Um, they are able to do autopsies. They perform the autopsies. They write death certificates, determine cause of death, all of that. Um, now the coroner system is a little bit different in that it's an elected official. So that's kind of the biggie. So they don't necessarily have to be a doctor um, or, you know, a surgeon or pathologist at all. They can just be, you know, it's some type of elected political type position, but they also um, will uh, like certify deaths, write death certificates. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, because I haven't really worked in that system, is they can decide if they want an autopsy performed on, on someone, you know, death outside of the hospital, most likely. And they can kind of set that up with a doctor or they can perform them on their own and there's some training involved. So a little, little different there. So as a uh, pathologist assistant, uh, then what, what, what do you do like on a daily or a weekly basis? Yeah, so most PAs, most pathologist assistants work in surgical pathology. So I'll just, I'll briefly go over that because that's more of the common route. Um, so basically when you go in for surgery, you have anything removed from your tonsils, your gallbladder or major resections for cancer, like a mastectomy or colectomy. Um, all of those specimens go to the pathology lab and we as PAs examine them. So we start from taking photographs, measurements, a description, and then we cut them, um, you know, a dissection per se, and describe some more, find lesions, and then submit smaller pieces of tissue to histology, which, you know, that process goes through and they create the microscopic slides, which go to the pathologist, the doctor, and they, you know, 
sign out the diagnosis and then, you know, so we're kind of that behind the scenes medicine, patient care that people don't really know about, but we play a big role in diagnostic medicine um, and, you know, finding treatments for patients, that sort of thing. So that's what most pathologist assistants do. And then there's a smaller subset who do autopsies. And so that's what I do. Um, I could do, you know, an autopsy start to finish, um, but mostly what I do is we have a big like team environment, team effort where I work in, in an academic institution and we have uh, uh, residents that rotate through. So we have like six or eight residents every year that rotate through, PA students that come through and then uh, undergraduate interns. So a lot of what I do is teaching, teaching them how to dissect, um, you know, find out the cause of death, pretty much like look at the whole overall body, which is kind of interesting instead of just one simple specimen on your bench when you're in surgical pathology. So that, so a lot of what I do is teaching and training um, in, in the autopsy setting. You mentioned earlier that, you know, you had an interest in the fifth grade to, to go into some kind of a field medical, uh, associated with medical field. Mm -hmm. And when exactly did you kind of choose that path that you that you actually took? Was it in the end of high school or early college that you had to decide on a major and that was your path with the uh, credits and courses you had to take? Right. Yeah, I knew. I remember like by the beginning of my senior year, I had already like committed to UNH and knew like accepted and committed by like the fall of my senior year. I was going to the University of New Haven for forensics. So I think you know, the dissection kind of throughout school and always, you know, being interested in like hunting and the outdoors and animals, that sort of thing, um, kind of led to the forensic side of things plus the CSI effect. And then, so I knew I wanted to study forensics. Um, and I was a bigger fan of biology than I was chemistry. And for forensics, you have to take a little bit of both. It's very strong in math, like calculus, biology and chemistry. So a little bit of everything. So when I when I left there, I ended up with a major in forensics, a major in biology, and a minor in chemistry because you take so many of those courses. So it's very heavy in the sciences. Um, sorry, I got off on a little tangent there. But um, yeah, so I knew I wanted to do forensics. And then while I was in school and I had those biology tracks in my internship is when I realized I wanted to be a PA. We know somebody uh, locally, we know them very well. <clears throat> who uh, was hoping to be pre-med in college, went into college, you know, with that uh, thought in mind. And after a few weeks, uh, she changed her mind and went into political science because <laughs> the, the, the students in, in you know, pre-med were so uh, focused on science and sci and they lived and breathed it, and she didn't do that. So, I mean, you have to be committed, I'm, I'm sure, you know, to, to loving it and working it. And getting back to your, you know, one of your earlier comments, you were, you were able to take part in some of the fun things in college. It didn't overwhelm you with the oh, science. Oh, definitely. With, with, yeah, with I was I was always very involved. Um, I I mean, I went I went to Notre Dame um, High School, so I had a pretty rigorous high school education. I took you know high honors classes. I took Latin, so I was kind of used to that. And I, my work ethic, I think, really kept me on track. But, um, you know, a full course load, but I'm, I'm the type of person I like to be busy. So I had a job on campus. I worked in the admissions office. Um, I was part of the admissions team. So we gave tours to incoming freshmen, incoming students, which 
I remember going on my first like college tour and being like, I want to be one of those people one day. Like I want to give the tours. Um, so that was a big part of, of my you know college career. And then I was also in some other clubs, the honors program, the forensic science chemistry club. So I definitely found, <laughs> found time to be involved and then also, uh, you know, time to enjoy myself for sure. Yeah, I, I think you must be very uh, different, Caitlin. Because well, I know you're gifted, but uh, you know because most people that I've spoken to who are science majors just their whole life revolved around uh, you know the sciences. So I'm mm -hmm. so glad that you enjoyed your college experience as well. You were able to have two majors and a minor. Holy homie! <laughs> In four years too. You know. Uh, uh, all right, even better. <laughs> Well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned earlier that, you know, CSI shows on TV uh, were a factor. And mm -hmm. uh, we find that a lot with the students that we talk to. And some of it is um, not very realistic. You know, back in okay. the 80s, before your time, uh, LA Law, I think it was LA Law was a big, big show on TV. And mm -hmm. the law schools were inundated with, you know, applications because they thought everybody was driving around in, uh, you know, Mercedes-Benz uh, convertibles <laughs> with, you know, their hair waving, you know, and they all had these exciting lives. And sometimes uh, law can be very boring, but it could, not to get off uh, uh, on a, on a, go into the weeds here, but that did work for you, but it doesn't work for, for many, many students. So, right. you know, if you can just expand on that a little bit, did you watch other things like, you know, NCIS or those kind of shows that to continue on and, and you know, you know kind of, keep your interest there before you got into it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, CSI was a big one. Um, what else? I did watch NCIS a little bit. I mean, there, there were a bunch of those shows that I really liked, but you realize now like how unrealistic they are, you know, how quickly they solve crimes. Um, I'm still a big, you know, like true crime fan. So I still watch them. You know, I watch Grey's Anatomy, you know, even though that's just so unrealistic, but I still <laughs> enjoy it somehow. Somehow we get through it, but it is. I mean, I, I know a lot of students that I went to undergrad with within the first year. There are so many that changed to criminal justice and get out of the forensics because they realize <laughs> the sciences are not for them and it's not right. you know, really what you can do. You know, and even in my field, you know, I realized that when you're in the more biology track, there's only so many maybe jobs that you can do or like you work in a lab, you know, it's mostly like science-based work. And a lot of people say they want to be like the detective or the investigator. And that's not really the forensic science part of it. So that you have to have more of a law enforcement background or criminal justice background to do that. So you kind of figure that out along the way, but it takes <laughs> takes people, you know, a year or two to realize exactly what you can do, you know, with that forensics major. So, All right. Where do pathologist assistants work? What kind of settings do they uh, work in? Yeah. So it can vary. I mean, my first job I worked for a private company, so we were basically outsourced to hospitals. So I rotated through three different hospitals and then the private lab. So, you know, you can do like a private practice like that or um, small community hospitals, larger university academic centers. So there's really, you know, a, quite a bit of variety depending on what type of job you want to have. Um, where I am now in the, in the surgical pathology area, there's like eight PAs. And so you work with maybe like 10 residents, a couple students, a couple interns, and it's, you know, uh, much more volume, depending on what type of surgeons you have and departments at that hospital, kind of what complicated specimens you'll, you'll receive. Smaller, you know, community hospital or in a more rural area might just get, 
you know, the routine, uh, you know, appendices, gallbladders, colons, and, you know, not as, you know, complex specimens, mm-hmm. um, and maybe the only PA where they work. So it's mostly going to be in a hospital setting, but it's, it really varies, honestly. So you can work in, you can choose whether to work in an urban area or even, uh, I would say probably suburban, not so much mm-hmm. the rural, I would probably think, you know, that's, uh, you know, they have a smaller hospital system, but thank you. Where do you see your field going in five, 10, 20 years? Kind of, if you had to predict with everything changing, and I know it's difficult because it changes at a blink of an eye, but where do you see things going here? Yeah, so I know as um, as a pathologist assistant, the AAPA, the Association for Pathology Assistants, we're trying to get you know our name out there more for more recognition. It is a relatively small field, and people don't always know. You know, we're not physician assistants; they don't always know what we do. So they're really trying to advocate for you know what we do and how useful we can be, things like that. Um, and you know, the science is always evolving and changing with research that PAs, you know, recently, and I feel like in the future will be more involved with research topics um, at their institutions, you know, depending, you know, kind of kind of what their resources are. So I think, you know, there's there's definitely good job security in what we do. And I think our scope, you know, may open up more once, you know, maybe more doctors know about us and can you know, like use us for different for different tools, kind of take some of that work off the residents, maybe. I would imagine, um, you know, your, your field, your job is a hands-on thing, obviously. With the last year and a half of COVID, were you able to uh, teach, you know, online at all? Um, we didn't do any online teaching, you know, at least where I am. Honestly, like in the beginning of the pandemic, we kind of like shut down autopsy, honestly. And, you know, a lot of people weren't operating, they weren't doing elective surgeries, anything like that. And we honestly had to focus on just taking in patients and releasing patients from the hospital. Um, But our residency program still continued. And, you know, once we kind of upped our safety protocols, we continued to do autopsies and teach in person. So it definitely did not have a work from home type of situation. Um, We were, we were there the whole time. So yeah, the, the teaching went on for sure. Good, good. Uh, what's your biggest professional challenge that you found? Biggest challenge. Sorry for that. Um, biggest challenge. I would say sometimes I, I think the notoriety sometimes and like knowing what we do and you know some people um, or doctors don't really they don't like value our work or our input because it's like you're not a doctor and that's not what I'm trying to be, but we're kind of that like middleman. So sometimes, you know, um, it's a little challenging with certain attendings or residents and kind of being in the middle, you know, I'm a PA, but I'm teaching doctors, yeah. you know, not a doctor. <laughs> so that, that can be a little challenging there, but um, overall I've had really good experiences. So can't complain too much. Good. Do you work with a, a surgical team? I, you know, I know you had mentioned something, you know, you work with a lot of different people, but are, since you actually um, do a lot of, of, of the pathology piece of it, do you uh, work with a surgeon or are you totally independent 
of the surgical team? I guess that's what I'm asking. Right. Yeah. So like technically another aspect of the, the surgical pathology are frozen sections or like an intra-op consultation. So when a patient's in surgery, if the surgeon sees something that they're not sure what it is, or did they get clean margins, they'll send tissue to the lab. And it's like a basically like a rush where we, you know, cut the tissue, stain it and get a diagnosis out within 20 minutes. Uh, so there you work a little bit more closely with the surgeons because they might bring a specimen in and want, you know, to explain to you where they took it from, if it's something complicated, um, but not, I mean, not specifically like with the surgeons on a daily mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. If, um, what would you say if you knew now what you knew then, what would that be? You know, like it's always a surprise when you go into a, a field and you have an ideal picture of what you're, what you're supposed to be doing and what it looks like. And so how would you, how did you fix that? Or how would you say there was that surprise that, that like, uh Oh, you know, surprise, if you right. will. good surprise. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I, sometimes I think back and I'm like, Oh, did I really need that forensics degree? Did I really need to pay all the money for that forensics degree? Because I'm more, you know, in medicine now, but I say, I, and I've said this a few times, like if I didn't go through the path that I took, I probably wouldn't be where I am now because, you know, if I didn't have that internship, would I have been introduced to the PAs that I worked with and kind of put me on this path? So you know, the, uh, the student loan debt is a little, little, you know, high. <laughs> so that's the only thing I wish I knew more about, uh, taking loans out when I was an undergrad and, you know, that side of things that they don't really teach you as much. Um, because yeah, it was like, oh, did I really need all that, you know, loan debt, but <laughs> okay. the challenges of the loans, which is always mm -hmm. uh, really good. Where do you see yourself in 10 years, Caitlin? Like, do you, uh, do you have to take a lot of, uh, a lot of professions have that you have to take so many credits every so many years. Where mm -hmm. do you see yourself in that? Are you going to be growing out of the profession? Do you think, or, um, you know, what do you think, what's, what's the natural progression, if you will, in your okay. field? Yeah. Yeah. So we do have continuing ed cre uh, credits that we need in like 60 every three years. We have to recertify, go through that, that process. So, um, I'm actually signing up for a conference this year so I can go to a conference to get some credits. So that's always exciting um, to get to go. This will be my second one. And it's just nice to kind of meet PAs from all over the country, uh, kind of network and that sort of thing, kind of keeps you, you know, abreast with everything, all the new advancements and things that are going on. So I really enjoy that. Uh, in the future, though, I could see myself teaching more like on an academic uh, level, uh, maybe at, you know, one of the uni local universities I could teach at UNH or even Quinnipiac. I know they offer um, forensic pathology classes and just pathology classes um, that some of my mentors taught. So mm -hmm. I figured maybe in the future I would do a little bit more teaching, um, you know, aside from what I do at work. Mm -hmm. That's exciting yeah. that, you know, that yeah. there are those opportunities for you. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see, is there any recommendations? I think we already covered that, uh, what you would make to high school students considering the medical field. Is there a tip that you would like to pass on? You were great with, uh, I had one of my students actually interview you and you were so great doing that and you gave her some really great tips. Could you give um, our parents who have students who might be involved in science, interested in science, what would be 
two pearls of wisdom that you would, since you've gone through the loans, you've gone through the education, mm -hmm. uh, you're an old pro now, what would you possibly recommend for them? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, get involved in like shadow if you can, you know, I volunteered at the hospital, you know, volunteer at the hospital, shadow if you know of a family member or friend who is in a similar position, just to kind of like get your foot in the door and to really see what happens in these jobs is really great, you know, really great experience to see if, if that's really what you want to do or if you know what, what the position really is. Um, and to just, you know, uh, do more than just than just study and take your classes, you know, be involved, you know, be well-rounded. Uh, and, you know, the, the sciences are important, math is important. So if you really do want, you know, those medical type of jobs or to be a doctor, those are really important, you know, classes you want to take seriously in high school, you know, to help you out in college. Because um, especially if you do well in them, you could test out and then do other classes in college, which is really helpful as well. So you suggest taking uh, the as many advanced placement tests that you can, and then yeah. go into the AP sciences as well. And, yeah, that would be really helpful. Right, right. And I guess you did take the SATs when you were going in. You were did. Yep, yep. I took the SATs. Uh, yeah, and I took whatever AP uh, courses my school offered. We didn't offer a ton, but I took what was available. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yep. It's a great school that you went to, and it just mm -hmm. goes to show the smaller private, you know, Catholic schools offer superior education, and I think that's coming out more and more mm -hmm. during, uh, you know, our COVID, uh, you know, system going on. Uh, yeah. Do you have another question, Tom? Well, I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit more about, you mentioned the big loans before, and, you know, you're in school for eight years if you're certain kind of doctors. And that scares a lot of people away, I'm sure. Right. You know, especially in today's world. You know, you've gone to school with uh, students who did not become MDs necessarily, but were in levels uh, still in medicine, and they don't have these giant, giant loans to pay off. Mm -hmm. uh, so in your school, when you went to school, what were the other, if you can remember, what were the other majors or, or, or uh, fields of study that people were taking that you know they can get a medical degree, not a medical degree, but be in medicine with just four or five years of uh, schooling. Do you remember? Yes. That? So yeah, I mean, there's definitely like PA program. My program was only two years. I think the physician assistant programs are two or three years as well. So those are a great option. Um, unfortunately, a bachelor's degree doesn't really mean anything anymore, and you really need higher education, you kind of need a master's degree. So, you know, if you can, my one other point of advice that I just thought about it is don't be afraid to maybe take some of the general education credits at like a community college first. And it's probably much more affordable to take your basic sciences, your basic math, Englishes, those kind of general credits that most universities require. And then after maybe you really know what you want to do for the those the third and fourth year of college, go to a larger university, um, and then after that, you know the master's programs are you know a good two to three years. Um, I know some uh, nurses, some like radiology techs programs like that, um, and then the other PAs that we kind of um, went to school with. And so you're getting that master's degree, but it's only in two or three years, and you still kind of are in the field, which is is a lot more, you know. It's a lot easier than med school and quicker. And then you can kind of have that work-life balance, which is, is what I was going for as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. Is there any other topic that we haven't touched on or asked you about that you might want to talk about? I don't talk know. About 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we've covered a lot. I'm trying to think if I had any other notes. Um, I don't think so. Well, what's more important in your profession? In, well, I should say in your personal opinion, is it better to go to a really great undergrad school and then kind of skimp on the master's or should you go to a really, uh, you, you know, top grad school? Which do you think is important for sciences? Mm -hmm. If you had to spend the money, you know, you have X amount of money, right. you don't want to be, you know, so in right. your humble opinion, what would be uh, concentrate good undergrad and okay grad or really go for the, the grad school, put your money and your, your um, sights on a grad school? Yeah, I, yeah, I think if you know what you want to do, the grad school is probably the more important one, because um, all you really need is your prerequisites to get into grad school. So as long as you take your sciences and you take your maths in college, you're like that's, and you do well, is, you know, less important where you went to school, because um, I think they, they take into account maybe your internships or your volunteer experience or those type of experiences that will, you know, help you in grad school. And, you know, as far as like my program, there's maybe like six or eight um, grad school, you know, master's programs in the country. So going where I went, you know, to one of the top programs was, you know, says a lot. And then, you know, the um, connections that my program has, we have graduates all over the country, is really good for job security and getting a job. So mm -hmm. that was, you know, one of those things is that, you know, my director made sure that everyone had a job before they graduated from our mm -hmm. master's program. So I think that's really important if you know which, um, you know, program you want to go into, that the, the master's is probably more important. So having a good advisor is definitely a plus. You know. Definitely. Right. And mm -hmm. then, of course, networking, since your profession is on a smaller uh, scale, networking and, you know, keeping in touch with other people in the field is excellent. How do you stay current in your field? Yeah. Um, so we have we have a Facebook group, honestly, that we we're small enough that we have a Facebook group that we we kind of chat on. But um, the AAPA, we they put out um, like a monthly magazine that has articles in it. And that's part of our continuing ed. They have quizzes along with those articles. Okay. So I like to, you know, social media is really big now, too, that they have you know a Facebook page. They have a, a Twitter page. And so on this and I think Instagram, too. So you're constantly kind of seeing like Pieces that people are working on or um, articles that they're writing. So I feel like you kind of see it in a lot of different avenues lately. And then, like I said, the conferences are great. They do conferences twice a year to kind of, you know, keep you on top of things. And, you know, you're not sitting at the computer, you know, taking quizzes, you're, you know, sitting in lectures and kind of networking some more. So. Right, right. It's always good to mm -hmm. also get out of the lab, if you will, you know, it's, it's right. meet the meet and greet other people. Great. Mm -hmm. any, well, well, any uh, high school sophomores and juniors, <clears throat> excuse me, who are watching this, listening, uh, I've gotten a lot of information from you, and it's almost like uh, shadowing somebody it is. or getting a, an interview about what mm -hmm. I should do or where I should go. So, you know, the information was great, and uh, <clears throat> we really appreciate you uh, sharing it with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Caitlin, for being here and, and explaining your career. Your career is phenomenal. And uh, as Tom said, you are a, a great example uh, for our students who might be listening. And I think you really told it whether the, the, the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly that gets in there. Great. And I thank you very much. Uh, is If anyone would like to contact you, could you give would you be comfortable giving your email address? 
Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. My, my work email, it's caitlin.fish is my last name. So K-A-I-T-L-I-N dot fish at yale.edu. Right. Perfect. That way, if any parents have any questions, you know, they can reach out to you. Um, and I want to thank everyone, our listeners. Hopefully you enjoyed this wonderful session. She downloaded a lot of information to us. And um, I know every time I speak with Caitlin, I come out with some new, some new knowledge there. And uh, this is Maria and Tom Geffers from Career and College Counselors, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.